Good morning, church family and ministry friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to our online internet around the world church service. And I'm so glad that you are here today. Praise God. Amen. God's going to bless you really, really good. Amen. Now, let me read a very beautiful verse to you from the little letter called third John way back in the back of the Bible, just before Jude and revelation and third John, which only has one chapter. So let me read verse one, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. You have to understand that at this time in the life of John, who, when he was young, leaned his head on the Lord's chest and was very near to the Lord and can ask him more personal types of questions like who Jesus is your betrayer. And Jesus told him that it was uh, Judas praise the Lord. But my friends, John had a very close walk with the Lord. He was young, but now he's very old. He, it says the elder. So that would be John. And he lived a very long life. And he writes this letter to Gaius. And he says in verse two, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Our well-being on the planet centers around the prosperity of our soul, having a close walk with God Loving the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our strength. Woo, praise the Lord. So out of that rich soul prosperity extends all of the other good things that God has for us as well. And two of them, which are major, are listed here by one of the preeminent apostles. Praise God. And we see prosperity and health are mentioned. I pray that you may prosper in all things that would include your finances. That would include your uh, investments, your business ventures, uh, the stewardship of uh, the monies that come into your life. God wants you to prosper and be in health. Praise the Lord. Now, if somebody said, pastor Stephen, God, put this sickness and disease on me to punish me or teach me a lesson in humility <laughs> or something like that, then you would have to realize that's contradicting uh, what is written in the word of God. And God wants you to have prosperity and health. Now the devil would be very, very happy to oblige a believer and put sickness and disease on them if that's something that they are willing to accept and not only would the devil be happy to do it, the devil would even hide behind a religious cloak and would suggest to you through mental thoughts that it was God that actually did it. So you do have an enemy and he's very cunning and sneaky and the devil has his literature sometimes written by well-meaning theologians who in some areas can write really good things that expound upon the word of God, but then turn right around and write other types of articles that will tell you that God will put sickness and disease on you and that God wants you to be poor. And somehow God would take delight in not having your needs met. But the reality of that is that, uh, and after all it is father's day today. And 
a father cares about his children, and he would never, ever be happy in seeing them experiencing lack or insufficiency. Much less would a father ever put sickness or disease upon his children. He would do everything in his power to get it off of them, which is why we pray over our children, and if it were necessary, take them to the hospital. Why? We don't want that on them. But my friends, if we as natural fathers would have such love for our own children, how much more the love of God, when He sees you as His child, His son, or His daughter, never would He want you to be in lack, never would God want you to be sick. And we see it written even here in the Word of God. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. God wants you to have prosperity. God wants you to have health. Praise God. And don't let any uh, uh, slick religious talk try to talk you out of the Word of God. There's just too many scriptures in the Bible concerning God's prosperity plan for your life, concerning God's health and healing plan for your life. Amen. So cling to the Word of God above all things, and enjoy it, even as your soul prospers. Now, we're going to bring the tithe into the storehouse, and we're also going to receive the offerings into the storehouse of God. And the tithe is 10% of our uh, earnings, 10% of our income. If you also perhaps get an unexpected blessing, maybe a bonus, and the boss is passing out $1,000 blessings, well, uh, the tithe will also come out of that because we want to honor the Lord with our finances. Oh, there is wisdom in honoring God uh, and putting God first. We want to give the Lord the first fruits. That means technically, in a sense, we want to put the tithe first. And we don't want to pay all the other bills and do all of the other things. And if there's something left over, then maybe we'll see what we can do for the Lord. <laughs> no, let's honor the Lord, put God first, pay the tithe first, amen. And then ask the Holy Spirit what He would have you to do uh, concerning giving an offering. Because the tithe belongs to the Lord. The offering is a seed that you sow that gives uh, God the ability to work with something that you've planted as a seed that He can multiply. Praise God. Amen. Now, as you honor God with your finances, and as your soul is thus prospering because you're obeying the Word of God, you love the Lord and you obey His Word, well, my friends, enjoy the prosperity that God brings into your life. What is health for? It's, it's to enjoy where you can go out and walk out in the sunshine and uh, lift things up or move things around or, or do stuff. You can enjoy your health. Praise God. And you can certainly enjoy your prosperity. Now, for those of you that prefer to mail your tithes and offerings in, please send them to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina. The zip code here is 28654. Once again, Stephen Brooks International, or just put SBI, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina, 28654. Now, if you prefer to bring your tithes and offerings in online, you can do so from anywhere in the world as long as you can get on the internet. Okay, so go to the website, stephenbrooks.org, and there's a link on the homepage at the top. There's a header at the top, and it says, uh, Give Online. And you can click that, and it takes you to the giving page. 
There on the giving page, you can click that little link that says F-U-N-D, fund. It'll bring the drop-down menu that you'll see the area for the tithe and then an area for an offering uh, so that you can sow seed, financial seed, and reap a financial harvest. Praise God. Glory to the Lord. Now let me pray over your giving. Father, I pray you bless your people with your very best. As we would say, let heaven's best be theirs. We thank you, Father God, even those little things that would make them happy. Let those things come into their life. I thank you, Father God, that we are standing on your word. Third John verse two, that you want us to walk in prosperity, that you want us to walk in health and you want our soul to have an abundant uh, overflow of, of joy that comes from being near to you and obeying your word. Now, Father, we thank you for a beautiful life that glorifies you, a beautiful life that Jesus purchased with his blood. And we give you all of the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. I see God shining on you today. Praise the Lord. Well, before we jump into today's message, let me share one more thing, uh, which is today is Pastor Kelly's birthday. Woo! Praise the Lord. And we are celebrating around here uh, her life and her ministry. And she works so hard in the ministry and does so much behind the scenes. And of course, she has her own valid prophetic ministry. If you ever get around my wife in person, uh, you'll find out very quick that she is a prophet and she stands in the full-time ministry office of a prophet. Technically, we could say a prophetess, praise the Lord, but she can certainly minister the word of the Lord. Matter of fact, one of the first meetings that my wife and I ever went to right after we got married, we were in a meeting with Bishop Bill Hammond. Now, Bill Hammond has prophesied personally one-on-one -on -one to over 75,000 people. And he's considered one of the world's foremost prophets. And without question, he is. But I remember the first time uh, Bishop Hammond ever prophesied over my wife and I, he laid hands on both of us at the same time. And he said, oh, he said, Lord, two prophets in the same house. He said, Lord, this could be dangerous. But he said, Lord, let it be more dangerous for the devil than it is for them. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, it is very interesting, two prophets in one house. But she is a wonderful woman of God. And if you would like to share your love with her uh, and just say, Pastor Kelly, we love you. And on your birthday, we want to just uh, send a little something that lets you know we're thinking about you. There on the ministry website at the top, there's a header that says, Bless Pastors Stephen and Kelly. Okay, so if you want to bless Pastor Kelly on her birthday, click that. It'll take you to an online giving link. Okay, so stephenbrooks.org at the top, there's a header, a, a web link that says bless Pastors Stephen and Kelly. And that's a personal link where when you click it, it blesses us personally. So there's not a tax write-off for that uh, because it would go to us personally. Now, we do pay taxes on that, but... Nevertheless, that is a direct way where you can sow into the personal life of Pastor Kelly. And I know uh, it would mean something special to her. Praise God. Thank you for doing that. And thank you for wishing her a happy birthday today. Praise God. Now, 
Uh, I want to talk today about your supercharged prayer life. And I believe the Holy Spirit's going to touch you in a way where if you already have a valid prayer life that's very strong and very consistent, you'll get some things today that will just uh, throw fuel on your already vibrant prayer life. But I also believe that there's maybe some lethargy in your prayer life and perhaps in your walk with the Lord, that this will do some things that will not only invigorate you, it will really help you to uh, get up to speed. I'm talking like within 24 hours. Okay. So let's pray. And we're going to jump into this. Heavenly father, we thank you for your word. It is our faith food. So father, as we receive it, help us to also assimilate it and digest it. And not just hear it, but hear it in a way where it gets into our spirit. And then we can take it and run with it in our practical life. Now we thank you for this grace, this help of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. And around the world we say, Amen. Praise God. Well, let's begin in 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12 and take a look at how a, a prophet takes responsibility for his prayer life. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. Moreover, as for me, now that would be the prophet Samuel, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. So Samuel said, for me, if I stop praying for you, that's sin. So a prayerless life, in a sense, does have disobedience in it because the Lord said, when you pray, not, not, if, you, not if you ever pray and never decide to do it. No, when you pray. So if you're not praying, which is a commandment, then that would denote that there's disobedience there. Okay. So he says that he's going to pray and he's going to teach them in the good and the right way. What is the good and the right way to have a strong prayer life? <laughs> I mean, it's right there revealed. The good and the right way is associated with prayer. Mm -mm. Prayerlessness is a sin. But here's something that might help bring that home a little bit more. Prayerlessness is also a guarantee for powerlessness. Mm. And that's really, I think, where it... Um, hits home the hardest. Let me say it again. Prayerlessness is a guarantee for powerlessness. Pastor Stephen, what do you mean by that? Well, I think that we could all identify with this, that what happens is that it, as a Christian, if you ever kind of move away from God, not in the sense where you don't love him and not in the sense where you've lost your salvation or anything like that. No, but if you just begin to drift away from God, and your prayer life is not real strong. And that's really the only area the victory's at is in the real strong prayer life. If it's not there, what happens is that even though you are born again and saved, washed with the blood of Jesus on your way to heaven, maybe even filled with the spirit where you could speak in tongues and so forth, but your prayer life is not strong what happens is that your life will be very, very average. Isn't that sad? But it's true. Matter of fact, your life as a believer 
which is supposed to be more than a conqueror type lifestyle, your life as a believer without prayer is very hard to even differentiate between that type of a believer and somebody who might not even be saved. Isn't that wild? Now, we know that the unsaved person maybe could do uh, things that would be, uh, you know, unrighteous or unholy or whatever. So, but as far as a, maybe like, like a, a sinner who's just like a nice person, but they don't know the Lord and they're, therefore they're not born again. Well, but maybe they're a nice person and a good responsible person and they, you know, go to job uh, to their job and do, they do good work in cases like that. If you don't have a strong prayer life, there may be hardly any difference as far as evidences of God working in your life uh, as compared to someone who's not even serving the Lord or somebody, somebody that's not even born again. Wow. So you have all of this potential that is lying there. So you really need to pray and you need to pray strong. You need to supercharge your prayer life. Amen. And that's what we're talking about today because prayerlessness, <laughs> that's, that's the road to powerlessness. Even when you know uh, certain promises and you know certain truths, but where's the power? It's connected through prayer, which is why you could come up very, very short without a good uh, prayer life. Praise God. Here's something very, very interesting. Years back, and it's gotten worse since Dr. Wagner's made this quote because he's now in heaven. He lived his life out. But uh, Dr. C. Peter Wagner years back wrote, the tragedy of America is that we can grow our churches without God. Now think about that statement. He said the tragedy of America is that we can grow our churches without God. Well, what did he mean by that? Well, he meant that in the Western type of Christianity, the Western expression of Christianity has come to a place where uh, men have figured out certain formulas that draw people. And you don't even have to pray, but if you work these formulas, you can build a church. Now, of course, if you work these formulas, you will not have a praying church. And if the church is not a praying church, technically in the description of the new Testament, it's not even a, it's not even a, a real church, <laughs> but it is possible today to build what are, uh, you know, churches with, uh, perhaps even lots of people. You could build it on a really good children's program. Why? Because the parents will want to come just so they can get a break from the kids and send the kids over there for maybe three or four hours and let somebody else deal with them. And the parents can have fun. And then there's also the social aspect of church. And that's also healthy, you know, but then it, it just becomes this thing where you gather and um, you could also have a lot of bells and whistles that uh, these individuals have learned over the decades of how to build a church. Matter of fact, I remember like over 20 years ago when I was uh, going to pastor a church in a certain area, I spoke to a man that was uh, way up in the, the ranks of having climbed the religious ladder. And he told me now, he said, now, Stephen, if you're going to pastor a church, you need to have, you need to have these things. And not one of the things he mentioned was prayer. 
it was all like you've got to have you have to have it that like this you have to have uh for instance when you're uh starting the church you have to have the big bouncy thing where when the kids come they can go bounce on the bouncy thing and you know it's inflatable you blow it up and you have to have all of this fun it was just, it was nothing but fun 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 and if you do that you can build a church and he told me the formula i i know the formula but I also know that what happens is that if you go down that road, uh, uh, it, it's a road that will, um, yes, you can go to heaven. Uh, they'll, they'll get Jesus over to you in the sense of understanding the salvation plan. But you're not going to have the victory that you're looking for. You're going to have an average normal life. Now, if you have a little something extra, maybe you're a little bit smarter than everybody else. Maybe that you have a, maybe you have a business gift that's come down the family line and you, you know how to um, do things perhaps better than others. Then you can pull ahead. But I'll, I still have seen it over and over and over. It, but if you don't have a strong prayer life, you will still have areas of defeat in your life that you can't overcome no matter how hard you try. Mm -mm. Again, the tragedy of America is that we can grow our churches without God. Praise the Lord. But what do we see in the book of Acts? Acts chapter 6, verse 4. Let's see what the apostles, the, the apostles of the Lamb, who knew something about doing it the right way. In other words, having the right foundation. They said, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Mm, wow. So they gave themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So you, you, you pray and then you study the word so that when you minister it, you, 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 you know what you're talking about. Then you can minister life to the people and that it enriches them and they're able to move forward in God's plan for their life. But prayer my friends, is key. So we have to understand that not everything that grows, in a sense, could be described as being a church. Wow. You know, Dr. David Youngie Cho was asked one time, and understand that his church ran 800,000 members every week. Every week. Now, the, the seating only held about 50,000. But, you know, you, you had all of these... Um, cell groups all over the place. Uh, and the truth be told, he really had, uh, he had larger that were uh, numbers that were much larger than that, but he, sometimes they just couldn't contain all the growth. So that's why there's mega churches all over Seoul, Korea. And I've ministered in Seoul, a wonderful city, a beautiful city, many Christians there. Uh, but Dr. Cho was asked one time, what is the secret of church growth was the secret of church growth. And he said three things. He said, number one, prayer. He said, number two, prayer. And he said, number three, prayer. And people were a little astonished by that. They said, well, isn't there some kind of like this or that? He said, no, that's it. He said, that's it. <laughs> he did say, he did say, the hardest thing that a pastor will ever encounter is the area when you start bumping up to 200,000 members. He said that's the hardest barrier to break. So once you get over, uh, get past 200,000 members, then you can really 
start moving into some new areas. Praise God. That's a wonderful problem to have, isn't it? Breaking the 200,000 barrier. But my friends, we want to look at prayer, not from a Western uh, Christian concept, because there's a lot of... um, a lot of huff and puff and fluff. And a lot of that, it doesn't work when the rubber meets the road or when life gets really challenging. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. When we pray, the work of the Holy Spirit is manifested and the forces of the devil are stopped and circumstances are changed for good. Praise the Lord. My friends, why? Why should we pray? Well, I think number one, because we want to be like Jesus and we want to walk in ongoing victory. Now look at this in Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 14. We want to be like Jesus. Mark 14, verse 32. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go check my emails. Oops. (laughs) Uh, maybe I snuck in suddenly a modern translation, right? Sit here while I text. Sit here while I go over here in Gethsemane and I tweet. Okay, so we all maybe need to tweet at times. That is, if you're on Twitter, maybe we need to text. We certainly do. We've got to answer uh, people when they are trying to reach out to us. We need, we need to answer emails. But there's a time you just set your cell phone down and you set all of the other um, obligations that need to be met. You set it aside because it's time to pray. He said, sit here while I pray. Now I want you to think about this just for a moment. And this is why you need, you need to pray because you need to be like Jesus. He's at the garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means oil press. And just as olives, you know, if you take an olive off of a tree, you can't eat it. It's, uh, it's unedible. It's too acidic, and it's, you can't eat it. So it has to go through a process. But um, what you also have to do is the same thing with the oil. You have, to, you have to press that oil out of it. And he was really going through the press. He was being crushed just like the uh, stone wheel rolls over the olives, and thus the oil is extracted. He, he you could say, is also in that press. But I want you to know that the victory that he won at Calvary was actually won there in that garden where he prayed. That's where he won the victory. And if you want to win also, then you're going to have to also go and pray where you go and your intent there is to pray. And what works for me is I do it in blocks of time. In other words, if I'm going to go pray, uh, I'm going to pray for one hour straight. Now, after an hour, I could pick up my cell phone. I could, if something came through that I need to uh, check, I'll check that and I'll take care of that. Maybe I have to spend 10 minutes uh, managing some of that. And then if I want to pray some more, then I will go another block. I will get back on the running track. As they say in Seoul, Korea, they, they look at the Lord's Prayer as being like a running track. It takes about 40 minutes or an hour to pray through. So what I will do, I'll get back on the track and run, a, uh, or, uh, run another hour or spend another hour with the Lord in prayer. Praise God. But you want to pray because you want to be like Jesus. He prayed and he won. He, he won over and over. It's kind of like David. David never lost a battle. Why? David would inquire of the Lord. How? Through prayer. 
what he should do in every tough situation that he faced. Thank you, Jesus. Now, number two, you want to pray because you want to have fellowship with the third person of the Godhead, and that is the amazing, wonderful Holy Spirit. So you want to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And prayer, of course, prayer is not just like asking God for things over and over. We understand that. Prayer is communication. But prayer is, is the right kind of communication. And what happens is that while in prayer, you certainly will have times that you ask God for things. And you're going to receive your answers. God's going to do it for you. But what's happening is that you're also building a relationship with God. You are building also a, a working relationship of being able to flow with the Holy Spirit. But you can't build that without conversation. That's why prayer is so important. Think about friendships. Think about marriage. What would happen if you maybe are still around, but you're no longer talking. If there's no talking, there's no communication. And eventually things will begin to get cold. Praise God. So you can't keep a good relationship with God without talking to him on a daily basis. I believe that's why the apostle Paul said in first Thessalonians chapter five, verse 17, that we are to pray without ceasing. Why? Because it keeps a continuous open communication with God. And you want it to be open on a daily basis. Praise the Lord. So what will happen is that if you ever notice that your prayer life is beginning to drag, like it's hard to pray or you've missed maybe days or weeks, well, that shows that your spirit man is already dragging on the inside, which means you're actually getting further and further away from God. Praise the Lord. So you need to press in and pray and really lean into the Lord, lest you drift further and further away. You've got to keep that communication wide open. Praise God. Can you say yes? Amen. Now go with me to a scripture that we've been uh, well familiarized with this year, Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Uh, I want to show you something very interesting. Verse 20. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, that's why the miracle couldn't happen because of your unbelief for assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, now watch this. This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, in verse 20, we saw that the root problem is unbelief. So, there are three forces that cause miracles to happen in your life. Those three forces we see here are, number one, faith. Number two, prayer. And number three, fasting. Woo! What happens is that faith and fasting enhances your prayers. Woo! When you pray, you need to be praying in faith. Hallelujah. And 
when you're fasting, you are uh, just giving a greater emphasis on the potential of the prayer power that you are leaning into. Praise God. So, while you want to take the time to build up your faith with the Word, you also want to make sure that you're taking time to pray. Why? Because you need all three forces. You need faith and prayer and fasting. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Look at this just for a moment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, Paul the Apostle said, A great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Wow. My friends, being a Christian does not exempt you from warfare. That's why you need these three forces operating in your life, because there's an enemy out there that even if you have a wide open door and the door is from God and God's in it, God will bless it. Don't think for a moment that the enemy just sits back and says, well, we'll let them go through. We'll give them a break on this one. No, there will be adversity and you need to be ready for that and equipped with the force to move through that open door. Again, he said, a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. We see this in a similar way. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 1 and 2. But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. There are some things, my friends, in life that can, um, you look at them and you realize, oh, this is, this is going to be a tough one. This is going to be a challenge. Now, in Christ, you're up to the challenge. But you have to maintain your spiritual strength, lest fear come upon you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Let me grab a drink of tea. Uh, then I want to share something interesting that was just said. When you pass through, not if you pass through. My friends, again, you're not exempt from warfare. When you pass through the waters, th these things will happen where you come into tough adversarial situations. Now, you can go through, but you have to understand that these things will happen. When you pass through the waters and through the rivers, when, not if, when you walk through the fire, well, Pastor Stephen, I don't want to do that, but you can go through it and you go through the water. You won't drown. You can go through the fire and not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Praise God. So warfare is inevitable, but victory is guaranteed to the person who just continues to pray, takes a hold of God throw some fasting in there at times. That doesn't mean you have to do a 40 day fast, but it could mean that you just back off. You don't eat as much. Or it could mean that maybe you might skip a meal from time to time. Praise the Lord. But also you keep your faith built up. And with that, your victory is guaranteed.
Praise God. And you know what? Sometimes victory is not like a dramatic, you know, like wall falling down. Sometimes victory in the Lord, it happens where it's so smooth that it goes through so easy that it's almost like, well, that, that didn't seem that hard after all. The reality was it was an impossibility, but because of God, when God came on the scene, the victory just came forth so smooth with such fluidity that we marvel at God's grace to accomplish great things with no sweat. Woo, and I see that happening to you. You're going through <laughs> all the way. Amen. Amen. Now, prayer also enforces God-given prophecies. We see this in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 18. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Praise God. Most prophecies I've discovered over the years, they don't get fulfilled without the application of kingdom forces. Those forces being faith, prayer, and fasting. Today we're focusing on prayer. Hallelujah. So you can see those prophecies accomplished, but you're going to have to really jump in there and pray. It is, it is a moment of excitement. It is a, it is a moment of joy when you receive a word from the Lord, whether whether even Jesus would tell it to you in a visionary experience or whether perhaps you've had the, the grace and the joy of having an angel come and having shared something with you as a direct messenger from the Lord himself, or perhaps through a prophet, maybe if you, even like a very established prophet that gives you a word, or maybe you're reading the Bible and the word becomes so anointed and God's presence comes in such a strong way and a scripture speaks to you one-on-one. -on -one. And please understand when that happens, that, that is the same thing as having the experience another way. Like I just mentioned, sometimes people say, well, if the Lord came and told me that, then I would believe, well, now the Lord can come if he so chooses and he could grant a divine visitation and share something. But when you are having a moment with God, where, as we would say, heaven comes down and that word comes alive to you and you know that God just spoke to you through that scripture, my friends, God sees it as the same thing and you must put the same weight on it. Uh, although maybe you didn't see an angel or something like that, but that's God talking to you and he expects you to believe it. Okay. So what do we do? Do we now celebrate that God said something? No. Now we wage a good warfare with those prophecies. What is the prophecy? It's God's plan that has been unfolded to you concerning what he wants to do in your life, showing you what he's going to bring the pass. Well, let us now all rejoice. Yes, let's rejoice and let's write it out, but let's also now begin to pray over it. Woo! Hallelujah. That's how you wage the warfare with your prophecies. You pray over them. You pray over them. Very few prophecies will ever come to pass if you don't really, really jump on them in prayer. Mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. 
My friends, you don't watch prophecies. You war with them. You war with them. You bring that prophecy before the Lord in prayer. And you say, now, Lord, this is what was revealed to me through the prophetic utterance. Lord, I know that you were speaking to me. I know this is of you. And, Lord, this lines up with your word. And you begin to bring it before the Lord in the court of heaven. And you say, now, Lord, this is what was said. Lord, this is uh, for the furtherance of your kingdom. And, Lord, you have all power. And you just keep bringing that before the Lord. Amen. And before you know it, that decree is issued and you're seeing it begin to unfold in your life. You must pray it out. Mm-mm. Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, I know many of you already know where I'm going on this one. And you're correct. That would be verse 11, which we love to quote in the church. But we must not only quote it, we must bring it into its fullness. Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, we rejoice in that, but my friends, again, we must do more. We must go to work on this, which is why we have verses 12 and 13. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Now, that's what some of you need to do. You've had the Lord share things with you where, you know, in your heart, God talked to you and God's got some good plans and you've caught those plans. You, you've had the spirit of wisdom and revelation touch your understanding and you, you are picking up on that and you are correct in that and you should be commended. You are to be commended for your efforts to hear from the Lord and your desire to know God's plan for your life. But see what will happen is that if you don't really go to work on that with prayer, then uh, time will begin to go by time will begin to go by. And that's why we have verse 12. And then you can call upon the Lord. Why you can talk to the Lord about it. Lord, I don't want this to be delayed. Uh, I want this to be walked out. So you go and pray to the Lord and he says, I will listen to you. And then verse 13, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So there is that condition there of not just being a casual receiver of prophecies, a casual receiver of the unfolding plan of God's will for your life. But you're like, okay, Lord, I'm, I, I believe it, but I'm all in on this. I am all in on you and I'm going after you with all of my heart. That's when God talks to you. Mm -mm. And very importantly, when God answers and begins to move in a way that you begin to see it start to become fulfilled in your life. Now we don't want to rush anything. There's a lot of wisdom in going uh, at a pace that you're comfortable with. There's a lot of wisdom in going through the right steps and going through the right processes instead of just getting impatient and skipping ahead. Uh, but you do it, but it's not done right. So let's take our time concerning God's plan. Let's take our time concerning the fulfillment of that prophecy so that it's brought forth in its beauty and fullness. But at the same time, let's not just sit around and not be working on this. Let's really pray so that it is um, brought forth in its right time. Praise God. So here we see in verses 12 and 13 that it takes intercession 
and seeking the face of God to see the fulfillment of the great plans and visions that he has already spoken to you about. Mm -mm. So in prayer, seek the face of God. And my friends, you'll be able to pray these things out, talk these things out with the Lord, and they begin to uh, manifest beautifully in your life. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Mm. This is very, very interesting. I like a quote I've written down here from Martin Luther, the reformer. He said, Lord, although I am sure of my position, without your help, I cannot maintain it. Help me or I am lost. What did he mean by that when he said, uh, although I am sure of my position? Well, he knew that we are saved by grace through faith. And he understood the imputed righteousness of God into the heart, into the life of the believer. So, you know your standing in the Lord. But he said, without your help, I cannot maintain it. You have to pray so that all of these truths that you know, the realities are not just in your head, or they're not just on paper, but they're actually operating in your life. Praise the Lord. We know from the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 17, that when you hear the word of God, faith comes. And that's a beautiful and an essential thing. So when you study the word, hear the word, meditate on the word, faith comes. But my friends, when you pray, you are putting on the power of God. So there's, there's a difference there. That, that old time statement is true. That if you have too much of the word, you will, you'll become dry. But if you have too much of the spirit, then you can get a little silly. Praise God. Mm -mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You want to get the balance right. Well, Pastor Stephen, how do I know when I'm supposed to pray? Or how do I know when I'm supposed to read the Bible? Well, right now, how do you know what you're hungry for? Concerning natural food. It's just something that's on the inside of you. It's something on the inside of you. You know today whether you want to eat a cheeseburger or whether you want to eat spaghetti. You know today, maybe you're vegetarian. Maybe you know today whether you want to have a salad or whether you want to eat some corn. You know, you just know. You know what you have a hunger for. And with the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, you know that if you're spending just all time prayer, 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 then you're, you're going to neglect the word and you get a little fruity. Okay. So, but you know, also if you spend too much time on the word, you can get real dry and, uh, whoo, we, we, we want to get it in the middle. So it's based upon spiritual appetite, praise the Lord. But today we're focusing on that appetite for prayer. Praise God. Because when you study the word, you build yourself up in faith. But when you pray, you actually put on the power of God. Prayer gives you power. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. When you pray, what happens is that you actually put on the character of God. And I think that's really important because only prayer 
has the ability to conquer the, the cravings of the flesh and the wanderings of the mind. Prayer can absolutely crush and conquer that. Praise the Lord. But you have to be consistent in prayer and you have to be filled up in prayer. It is true. It's, it's a sad statistic. But it is true because uh, too many results and too many tests have been taken that the average pastor in America, his prayer life, that the average prayer life of a pastor in America is nine minutes a day. Praise God. The average pastor prays only nine minutes a day. What are they doing? Some of them have large churches. One of them had a real large church. <laughs> he said, oh, I don't pray an hour a day. I don't. Yeah, I mean, he is basically saying he kind of like hinting. He doesn't even come anywhere close to that. <laughs> and that's why you could go to his church. He's a very nice pastor. But don't even expect to see miracles because it ain't going to happen. It's just never, ever going to happen in an environment like that. Why? You can't, you can't get into the really good stuff without prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Without prayer, you cannot get into the supernatural. You, although you are a believer and you love Jesus, just like I said earlier, you can love Jesus and uh, on your way to heaven and have the most boring natural life you could ever imagine. Why? You cannot get into the supernatural without prayer. Mm -mm. Woo! We're talking about supercharging your prayer life. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, in Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 20, we have this scripture that says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So the church, in a sense, is like this beautiful structure, like a temple. And even as individuals, our bodies are the temple of the living God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, the temple of God is laid out in the structure of what we would call the original tabernacle. Tabernacle is just a word basically that means like a tent type structure. And God had Moses build the tabernacle that was in the wilderness with the children of Israel. And then, of course, Solomon built the beautiful temple that was a wonder of the world. But whether it's the tabernacle that Moses built or the temple that Solomon uh, built, the layout was the same. Follow along with me just for a moment, because the tabernacle had two parts. You had the sanctuary and you had the courtyard. Now the courtyard was the area that was the big open area. That's where all the priests would, uh, they would, many of them would be out there. The Levites would be there helping. And the first thing that you would notice in the courtyard was the bronze altar. And if you will follow the temple pattern, sometimes you could call it the tabernacle pattern it is actually a template of how you can approach God and how you could establish your prayer life. For example, the first thing that you would come to in the courtyard of the tabernacle would be the bronze altar. 
And the bronze altar is where sacrifices were made and they would be burnt. And the bronze altar speaks of how Jesus dealt with the sin issue. So the first thing that you want to do is you just want to say, Lord, if I've got anything that's troubling my conscience, I want to make sure I, I'm right with you. I, anything I need to repent of, I want to make sure that the blood has covered that and has washed that away. And that's the very first thing that you would come into the courtyard. It would be the bronze altar. Praise the Lord. Now we thank God that Jesus has dealt with the sin problem. And the fact that there would be all of these ashes from these animal sacrifices represented that our sins have not only been atoned for, but they are now completely gone. It's like the only thing left would be the ashes. Pastor Stephen, I still have memory of my past sins. My friends, all of that memory is nothing but burnt up ashes. Can't hurt you. It has no power. Um, it's gone. So let it be gone. Praise the Lord. And be aware of that as you come to the bronze altar. Next, you would come to the bronze basin. This is a, a basin that was full of water. And this is where the priest would wash themselves. And that would speak of understanding our righteousness in Jesus. You know, if you have a beaten down mentality, and maybe you feel like God doesn't love you. And maybe you, you feel like that uh, you're not worthy or, you know, maybe you feel shame or whatever the case might be. You need to hang out in your prayer life there at the brazen um, uh, basin and just hang out there and let an understanding of what Jesus did for you at the cross come into you. That Jesus paid the penalty for your sins and his righteousness, or you could say his right standing with God has now been placed into you so that when the father sees you, he sees you in Christ. Therefore he sees you as being righteous, not of course on our own works or our own merit, but by what Jesus accomplished for us. So because of this approach, it certainly makes us thankful. So we come into the presence of the Lord with thanksgiving. Lord, thank you. Thank you that I can even approach you because you've dealt with my sins. You've taken them all away. Lord, I thank you that I can come before you. Father, thank you because in Jesus I'm now righteous because he has imputed that into me. Woo! And I thank you that when you see me, you see that righteousness of Jesus in me. So, Lord, I thank you. I can hang out with you and talk to you. And I don't have to put my head down. I can look up at you and look at you eye to eye because of the blood of Jesus washing me clean. My friends, next, you would move into the second part of the tabernacle, and that would be uh, going from the outer court, uh, the courtyard, into now the sanctuary area. And this would be known as the holy place. And when you first go in, and you go in, in a sense, with your continued time in prayer, you notice the first thing when you go into the holy place is the seven lamps, the, the um, it's the menorah, the golden menorah, and it's got the seven shafts, uh, the center one, and then the other six, representing the seven spirits of God. And those seven spirits of God, there's only one Holy Spirit, but He has these seven beautiful primary attributes. And it's the Holy Spirit who helps to carry 
your prayer life along in a beautiful way, because that menorah was the only light there in the holy place, but it would illuminate everything. And so it's the Holy Spirit that illuminates what you should pray about, who you should pray about. Yes, pray for your needs, and yes, pray for your family. And uh, you could pray it like the ripple effect, and pray for those that are nearest, and then pray for those that are uh, a little further out, and uh, like maybe for your neighbors, and then, uh, then you know, of course, you want to pray for your pastor, and pray for maybe those in the church that need prayer. And then you go further out, and you pray for, the, for your mayor, and then pray for your governor, and then pray for the president, and then pray for perhaps other prime ministers. So you just hang out in that holy place there with the illumination of the menorah, with the Holy Spirit leading you and guiding you in your prayer life, which is why your prayer life, even if you have a million times in prayer, your prayer life will never be the same because it's always different because the Holy Spirit is directing you in each prayer session and each one turns out differently because uh, the Holy Spirit is guiding and directing them. Praise God. The second thing that you would notice there in the holy place is the showbread. And I, I find the showbread so fascinating because although that bread would sit there for a full week, it would never ever mold. It would not lose any of its freshness. And then when it was eaten by the priest, it would just be, it would be just as fresh as the day that it was baked. And it was one of the ongoing miracles that took place there on a daily basis there in the holy place of the tabernacle. Praise God. The showbread, of course, representing God's Word. And while you pray, you want to pray in, in harmony and in sync with God's Word. There's many things that uh, you could talk to the Lord about in prayer, but we submit it all uh, to line up with God's will and God's plan for our life. And that, of course, will line up with the Bible. Amen. And then you would notice at the front section, just in front of that beautiful curtain that separates the holy place from the most holy place, you would notice the beautiful altar of incense made of acacia wood and overlaid with pure gold. And incense was burnt on that altar, and it would represent prayer, your prayers going up as incense before the Lord. And this is the time where you ask the Lord for what you need and ask the Lord for your daily bread. Even as Jesus taught the Lord's prayer, there is that segment in there for your daily bread where God wants your needs met and supplied abundantly according to his riches in glory. If there's any area of your life where maybe it would appear like there's devastation over here, my friends, please note that that's, that is something of the devil that's there. And what you want to do is you want to get the devil out and turn that, perhaps what would be a mess, into the Garden of Eden. Make it beautiful. Jump in there and go to work on it in prayer. Don't let the devil have any place in your home or in your life. Make everything beautiful. Cover everything in your prayer life so that when you come out of your time of prayer, you feel deeply satisfied in your heart that everything has been covered with great sincerity and great eagerness in prayer. Praise God. Pastor Stephen, I don't have time. We all have time. But it's simply a matter of priorities. You must structure 
your life around your prayer life. You don't structure your life and then at the end put God in and see how he'll fit and uh, sneak a little prayer time in. No, that's a recipe for disaster. And that's a recipe for normalcy. What you want is you want to build your world around your prayer life and your walk with God. Amen. And maintain it. Thank you, Jesus. Well, my friends, by this time in your prayer life, you're having a really good time. And then you move into the Holy of Holies, which is where the Ark of the Covenant would be. And that's those times you realize God's presence is completely in my prayer room. Hallelujah. God's here. You're just caught up in God. And by this time, your heart is just full of the things of God. See, see, prayer clothes you with the power of God. Amen. And so you're just now having a, a delicious time of fellowship with God, enjoying the Lord. And that's what the Ark of the Covenant represents, the real presence of God in your life. And it is so real. It is so real. And of course, out of that, when you are grounded on the Word in this area, out of that can come many beautiful supernatural encounters and wonderful situations. But my friends, while we're there with the Ark of the Covenant, or in the very presence of God Himself, having a good time with our Abba Father, having a wonderful time as we are praying in the name of Jesus, our great Mediator, having a wonderful time as the Holy Spirit is helping us to ride on that flow of anointing that He's helping us. He, he will strengthen us as we pray, and He will pray through us as we pray, but we still have to pray. But He's helping to generate this beautiful flow while we're there in the Lord's presence. I want you to note that on top of the Ark of the Covenant is the mercy seat. Sometimes viewed by some theologians even as a separate piece of furniture in the uh, tabernacle. But there on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was made out of 100% solid gold. And it was very, very heavy. My friends, there are some things in life where maybe there's some things in our lives that just came in and we couldn't do anything about it. Maybe because of who your parents were and your grandparents. Maybe some things passed down the family line and flop, there they are in your life. And you, you didn't ask for that, and it's, maybe it's probably not good, <laughs> but it's something that you have to deal with. And sometimes we see things, or maybe, maybe perhaps we did make a mistake here or there, and we realize with wisdom and hindsight, hey, uh, Lord, I realized, I realized now that um, I missed it on that. Maybe we, we don't really even know it until a couple of years later. What do we do when the Holy Spirit brings things like that up in our prayer time? I would encourage you to be mindful of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Which says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. I'm telling you what, when you're having a, a beautiful time with the Lord in prayer, and you realize that maybe there's something over here that's uh, not good, did you know that you could ask God for mercy? Could you, that you could say, hey, Lord, <laughs> I admit, I messed up on that, and that's why that's over there, and it's, 
being really stubborn as far as leaving my life. Lord, would you have mercy upon me? Lord, this thing is even distracting my walk with you. Lord, this thing is distracting my service to you. Lord, would you just come in out of your goodness and out of your love and out of your mercy? And would you remove that? I'm telling you, if you will talk to him, you will find out a side of God that is maybe, maybe the most beautiful part of God's character. It's his mercy. And God can just say, yeah, yeah, I'll do, I'll do that for you. Woo. It's incredible. <laughs> it's a showstopper for sure in your life. When you understand that element of the mercy seat over the Ark of the Covenant, but just know it's there for you. Again, let us therefore come boldly. You don't have to uh, be like, you know, hesitant. You can come. He is your, he is your daddy. You can come to him uh, and that we may obtain mercy to help in time of need. I'm going to skip the grace just for a moment. I want to highlight the mercy. You can obtain mercy to help in time of need. So cry out to the Lord for mercy in any area that you realize, Lord, I need a special touch here and watch what God will do. But you know what? You can only do that through prayer. That's why I want to encourage you because in so many ways, it's like you have the world at your feet. When you're walking with the Lord, you have every potential um, to achieve the greatness that he has placed within you. But you must pray so that these things are realized. Amen. I have a feeling that there are perhaps some where you could use that touch of God's mercy. Cry out to him and watch how he will answer you and he'll do it for you. All right. So lift your hands. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you that on this short study that we've had in your word today on the subject of prayer, I pray that the prayer life of your people be supercharged. Father, I know that in automobiles, most automobiles that are, um, that have combustible engines, they're just normal engines. But I, I know father that it's possible to supercharge a vehicle's engine. And I pray, Father, that your people, that they will supercharge their prayer life by taking these scriptures of inspiration and drawing near to you and coming into your very throne room and acquiring mercy for things that they need help with. And I thank you that you're going to answer their prayers and you're going to, to bring prophecies to pass. Father, we just give you praise. We give you praise. Father, I pray for your people that they not be father. I don't want to use the word deceived, but I, I would say misled. I pray that they not be misled by thinking that somehow promises and blessings and prophecies just all eventually come to pass solely for the sake of time. Father, it doesn't work like that. We have to pray. If we want to see these things established. So I pray for your people that they have that right perspective of prayer and, and expectancy. And that they'll do their part. That they will apply these three great forces of faith, of fasting, and of what we're highlighting today, prayer. And they'll see mountains moved. Now we thank you and we give you all of the praise that you are the God 
who answers prayer. We thank you that with you, all things are possible. We give you all of the praise. We thank you in Jesus' name. We thank you that your ears are open now to hear our prayers. Thank you, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Now, if you're watching today's program and you don't know God in a personal and saving way, I want to lead you in a prayer and you can get your life right with God right now. Perhaps you used to serve the Lord, but for whatever reason, you fell away. And you know what you need? You need some mercy. Praise the Lord. So you can cry out to God for mercy right now, and you can get right back into that place of right relationship with God. I want you to pray this prayer too. Okay? Now, let us all pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Save my soul. Father, wash me with the blood of Jesus from all sin. And write my name in your book of life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me. Now, Jesus, step into my life and lead me and guide me from this day forward. In your name I pray. Amen. And amen. Hallelujah. Glory. Glory to God. So as a new believer, one of the most important things you can do is to establish your prayer life. Amen. So these things will help you in that area. And for those of you that are mature in the Lord, it's always good to keep the fire burning hot. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, if you are a Christian, and I trust that if you're watching me, that you are. You can take Holy Communion. Why don't you do that? We can do it together. As believers around the world, we're going to take Holy Communion. Grab yourself some unleavened bread. If you don't have one of these little uh, wafers, Grab a little cracker, a piece of bread. Grab what, you, what you've got and get some grape juice. If you don't have grape juice yet, grab what you've got. And let's take communion together. Father, we thank you. We pray over the bread and the juice. And we now bless it through this prayer. And we set it apart as holy through our prayer. And we thank you that this is now the blessed body and blood of Jesus. We thank you, Father, that communion is a mystery, and there are certain things about it that, while we understand the basics of it, there, there's always that divine mystery of it, in a sense that when we hold it, we still see a wafer, and when we look at the, at the blood, we still see grape juice, but we thank you that it's the body and the blood veiled through the form of bread and juice. Now, Father, as we receive the Lord's flesh today, we thank you that you're a miracle-working God. And we thank you that as we press in and seek you with all of our hearts, that you're going to answer in the most smooth, strong, and beautiful ways that will bring you much glory. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Let's receive the Lord's flesh together. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the mercy seat. Thank you for the blood. Hallelujah. We thank you for cleansing and protection. 
We thank you for peace. We thank you for strength. Now, Father, if there has been prayerlessness, we see that in Scripture it's identified as being sin. We would ask for forgiveness and cleansing. Thank you, O God. Hallelujah. And repentance means to turn from sin. And so, Father, we turn from any form of spiritual slumber. And we thank you for prayer. Prayer life that is supercharged. Now, Father, turn it around for your people. I thank you that this is not like in some ways where if you have a physical lethargy, you need all kinds of rehab and stuff like that. I thank you, Father, that spiritually, just one good prayer session lights the fire completely again, and it's on fire. And I pray that this time, Father God, for great maintenance and stewardship over the fire, even like a guarded protection of this fire will never go out again. I thank you, Father. And for others, thank you, Father God. They're burning it hot. We give you all of the praise. We give you all of the glory. Thank you, Father God, in Jesus' name, that all of our sins are washed away and they are burnt up like ashes and gone forever. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's drink together. Woo! Hallelujah! Mm -hmm. Glory. Glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, you know what to do. It's time to do some good prayer. Amen. So have a wonderful week in the Lord. And again, thank you for remembering Pastor Kelly's birthday. And that's very, very sweet of you guys honoring her on her birthday. And uh, she loves you. And we all love you here so much at the ministry. And we're praying for you. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let Pastor Kelly also know that you're praying for her and that you love her. You know, she prays for so many people, and she prays for all of our partners, all of our online church members, as I do as well. But I do know that what happens oftentimes with pastor's wives is that sometimes they can, uh, because so much of what they do can be behind the scenes, they don't really receive the touch of love and honor uh, that they deserve. So again, thank you for praying for my wife, Pastor Kelly, and also expressing some love to her on her birthday. She'll appreciate it. And uh, it's going to be a, a, a very fun birthday cake, too. All right. Have a wonderful week. God bless you. And I'm praying for you. Bye-bye.